Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Ding dong, merrily on high. <laughs> or should I have done? Should I have done that um, Teddy Thomas style? And go, ding dong, merrily on high. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> you should never do that ever again. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Tim. How are you this festive period? I am grand. I am loving the not being in work mm. and um, the drinking as much as I can and eating my body weight in celebrations, but not bounties. <laughs> not bounties. It's like, fuck off, bounty. Like, what? Why do Mars do that? They are literally contributing to global waste by putting bounties mm-hmm. in packs of celebrations. It's like the other year when they did the celebrations calendar and, like, the one that they had on uh, December the 24th was a bounty. I mean, that's pure shit out behaviour. Despicable. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, yeah, it's Christmas. And it's our Christmas clash. So, Kev, what albums are we doing and why? So, um, we are doing two behemoths of the Christmas album genre. The legendary A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector. And we are also doing... And I'm going to have to just check, because I always get it wrong, A Motown Christmas. I mean, it's a difficult title to remember, to be fair. No, because I've I've referred to, to other people before as the Motown Christmas album, which is a different thing. Yes, it is a different thing. Whereas A Christmas Gift to You is also known as the Phil Spector Christmas album. Yeah. Yeah. And what connects these two albums? <laughs> sleigh bells. Lots of sleigh bells. <laughs> yeah. These are Christmas albums from an era where Christmas albums were good before Michael Bublé ruined it for everyone. And what if you've not heard the majority of these songs when you're just literally shopping, then you've basically become a hermit or you're Osama Bin Laden living in a cave. <laughs> basically, any time after Halloween, yes, wandering around Tesco, you're going to be hearing most of these tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, however... Before we start getting into our albums, do you have any shite stuck in your head? I do. Now, I have absolutely no no reason why it came into my head. It just popped in earlier earlier this week, and it, it is the follow-up single by massive COVID pricks, uh, right, said Fred, uh, Deeply Dippy. Oh, <laughs> just popped into my head for no reason. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, obviously, if you're in the UK, you will be aware that not the curly-haired one that looks like a young Jeremy Clarkson who played the bass. <laughs> the two, the two bald bellies, the two Fairbrass brothers have become massive COVID pricks and are they? They're also backed up by a poo sifter in chief, not a doctor, <laughs> not a doctor, Gillian McKeith. Yeah, Gillian McKeith, or to give her her full medical title, Gillian McKeith. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, Nick Riviera of British TV. <laughs> Did she go to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College too? <laughs> Custom Ree Simpsons reference. Early doors yeah. today as well. Uh, oh, well, I mean, 
Deeply Dippy, it was a surprisingly large hit, wasn't it, back in the day? It was, because you you naturally assumed that um, after I'm Too Sexy that they would have disappeared into one-hit wonder oblivion. Yes. But no, they they managed to eke out a career for ages on the basis of two hits. No, they had more than that. So they also had Stick It Out, which was a comic relief song. Oh, in, fuck, uh... they did, didn't they? <laughs> And who could ever forget the Frutella advert? Uh, Frutella, too fruity for my mom. <laughs> too juicy for my nan, oh, man. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I-, I don't have any shite in particular stuck in my head, but I, I just want to say that I hate anything by Michael Bublé. That's fine. Like, honestly, just fuck off. Mickey Bubbles is shite. I've got, uh, listen, I'm going to be calling him out loads over the next two weeks. Because he's fucking ruined most of the tracks that we're going to go through. Fucking Pound Shop Harry Connick Jr. (laughs) It's not even Pound Shop, Pound Bakery. (laughs) Just shit. Yeah. And as I said, has ruined Christmas music. Yeah, um, with his anodyne subpar covers. Yep, quite right. Uh, Okay, that is the shite that we have stuck in our head. Uh, what do you want to give a tip of the hat to? So um, I'm going to give a tip of the hat to a song by a band who released their debut album in this past year. I think it was February time, uh, TV Priest. Uh, just to give the, back, the background to them, they did one gig pre-pandemic, which was in an industrial freezer. <laughs> was Boris Johnson there? <laughs> They were then unable to perform anymore. They were signed by Sub Pop. Nice. And then uh, their album was released. They sound strongly like The Fall. So it depends how you feel about The Fall. I very much like that genre, that that style, as I've never really kind of shied away from. And yeah, it, it's really good. So I'm not familiar with them. What was the song called again, sorry? So the the song is called Leg Room by TV Priest. Leg Room by TV Priest. Okay. So I'm not familiar with them. Uh, in terms of the fall, yeah, fall were okay. Can we agree, though, that, and I don't wish to speak ill of the dead, but Marky Smith was a bit of a prick. Look, that's, that's not in doubt. <laughs> like, you, you hear you hear from anyone like um, his ex-partner, Bricks, and I forget the... I forget the rest of her name. Mark Riley, you talk to anyone, like anyone who's ever interviewed him, anyone who's ever had any contact with him, is Mark E. Smith was known for being a curmudgeonly prick, really. <laughs> exactly. But okay, I will, uh, I'll check that out. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Mine is by uh, someone far more well-known. It's the new single by Jack White, Taking Me Back. If you haven't heard it, it's a fucking belter. It's also oddly connected with, is it the release of the new Call of Duty? Yes. Yeah, which I, th- I found quite odd for Jack White to be linked with that. Indeed. So if you haven't heard it, it well, it is Jack White to the power of Jack White, basically. <laughs> it's That's how Jack White is. It's fucking batshit. But it's brilliant. Uh, but the B side is a um, a really nice bluegrass version of the same song, which is just nice. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there you go. Uh, as always, we will add them to our playlists. We will tweet out the links and all that stuff. So I, I'm not going to add this as as an official kind of. I can't get you out of my head, but I did send Tim details of a band that I've really got into recently, which is Black Country New Road. And they, I don't, I don't even know how you describe them. 
they're good. fucking nuts. They're, they're really good, but yeah. they're fucking nuts. Yeah, they are nuts. I mean, I was so I'd never heard of them uh, and, until you started sending me stuff, and uh, yeah, fucking nuts, but in a really good way. Yeah, check out their debut album. It's um, it's worth a listen, um, just for something that's unlike anything that you you'll have heard this year. I'm I'm gonna say very much out there. Yeah, but really good. But very good indeed. Okay, so that is uh, well, a little bit of extra can't get you out of my head. Now, shall we do a little bit of top trumps? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. It's um. It's going to be interesting. This week. It, it is. I mean, it's, to, let's. So it's going to be a fairly short top trumps. Uh, there's not a huge amount out there on on either of these two albums, but we've got got a little bit. So I absolutely obliterated the last time. So to, to retake the lead. So it's my honour. Okay. And I'm just going to go in order of what I've got. So let's go charts. A Christmas gift to you reached number six on the Billboard Holiday Albums chart. Okay, so um, Motown Christmas reached number eight on the Billboard Holiday Album chart. Okay, so I win that one. All right, okay, uh, I'm going to do critic scores next. And I've only got one, uh, and that's all music. uh, And Christmas gift to you got five out of five. Okay, I've only got one. It's all music as well, and it got four out of five. Okay, I'm two for two, which means I win because I've only got one extra category, yeah. and that is lists. Uh, Rolling Stone voted Christmas Gift to You as the best Christmas album of all time. Fifth best Christmas album. So, which is respectable. Yeah, but it's another whitewash. Yes, it is another whitewash. Incidentally, they also listed uh, Christmas Gift to You as 142 in the top 500 list. So this one didn't make the uh, top 500 list. Well, it's something that we're going to say, it's sort of... The Phil Spector album is 13 original recordings, whereas the Motown album isn't. It's a compilation Mm -hmm. taken from various other Christmas albums that had been released on Motown. So I guess in that sense wouldn't qualify for that Rolling Stone list. Yeah, and I mean, we'll we'll get into our comments about it. But interestingly, on that Rolling Stone Christmas album list is the Dylan Christmas album. And there's also, <laughs> there's also a Death Row one. <laughs> there is. Which very much intrigues, intrigued me. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, the, the, the Dylan Christmas album. Well, let's just say it was released in 2009. Uh, so just save yourself the effort, don't bother. But we might. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to say, if we're still doing this in 12 months' time, we might subject it to the Bob Dylan Christmas album. I'm, I'm up for it if you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, that is a, another whitewash. But I tell you, we won't count that one as, a, as an official Tom no. Trump clash. But it, it doesn't matter because I'm still winning. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Shall I start taking us through Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift to You? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. So I don't have as much on the background as I usually do, but it wouldn't be me without having a little bit on the background. And yes, that includes some quotes because there's some interesting stuff here. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So Christmas Gift to You was released on November the 22nd, 1963. Pay attention to that date, because I will be coming back to it later on. Uh, on uh, Phil Les Records, which was the record label that Phil Spector founded with Lester Still back in 1961. The album was recorded between August and September 1963 at the Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, which we have spoken about before. It was obviously produced by Phil Spector. So, 
1962 was was Phil Spector's year, basically. Darlene Lover got to number one with He's a Rebel. The Ronettes got to number two with Be My Baby. So coming into 63, the man could do no wrong. He was very much top of the pop world. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that Be My Baby only reached number two, because it is an utter belter. It's a classic. It is indeed a classic. A fucking brilliant, brilliant song. So, Phil Spector basically decided that he wanted to record a Christmas album and blend the sound, the wall of sound that was taking the pop charts by storm with some of his favourite Christmas songs. So, in August of 63, Phil Spector assembled the entirety of the Phil Les roster into Goldstar Studios to start work on the album. (laughs) The sessions were... Let's say somewhat intense. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a, a quote, and I'm, I'm sure this this may be where you're about to go with it, from a member of the Crystals, uh-huh. who's who was a teenager at the time, and said yes. the sessions were brutal. Like they went on from one p.m. in the afternoon to one a.m. in the morning. Yes. Uh, well, and she then goes on to say it was like child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's Lala Brooks from the Crystals. So so we'll add that to um, Phil's charge sheet. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, on a similar note, Nedra Talley of the Ronettes, she said you'd get so tired you'd get hysterical because of the, the, the late night sessions, etc. The studio was actually booked 24-7. And there were, there were people working in shifts around the clock. One person who felt particularly put upon, let's say, was engineer Larry Levine. Uh, he said, I never wanted to work with Phil again after that. My nerves were shattered and everyone was exhausted. It got to the point where Phil and I were at each other's throats because night after night we were in for six weeks recording that album. I mean, Phil, it's August. You don't release it till December, mate. You've got loads of time. Just fucking chill. Yeah, but anyone who's heard tale of Phil Spector's recording process, then that doesn't come as a huge shock. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so literally the last thing before I talk about how we discovered the album, told you be quick today. Someone who plays percussion on every track on this album is Sonny Bono. And attending the sessions with him was his girlfriend at the time, Cher. And she actually sings backing vocals on every track on this album. Yeah, indeed. Um, and she talked about it on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and said that later later on, like during these this recording thing, Darling Love doesn't turn up for a session uh, yeah. to, pr- to provide background vocals for You've Lost That Loving Feeling. So mm-hmm. uh, Cher performs on that as well. That's a belter of a song, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is, yeah. So that's it in terms of background. Short and sweet, but I thought, yeah. Wait until we get to mine. It's going to be well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Kev, how did you discover A Christmas Gift to You? So I suppose, like, as for everyone else, that you kind of grew up hearing bits and bobs off the album. I I, I mean, I, I couldn't actually tell you the time or age or anything like that. But it's when I really properly discovered the Darlene uh, Love Baby Please Come Home song. Um, I wanted to know where that had come from and everything about because I thought it was an amazing piece of music. And obviously we'll go on to talk about that. 
so I've known I've known about I've known about this album forever, really, and I've enjoyed various parts of it, even when shopping. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So as we said, and as you just referred to, some of the tracks on this are all-time classic Christmas songs and are on any now that's what I call Christmas compilation you could pick up in any service station bargain bin you know so I'm very familiar with a lot of the tracks and again the Darlene Love one is one of those it's probably only in the last 10 years or so that I've actually listened to the album as a whole and again, we've spoken before about the fact that I didn't really get into 60s pop and soul music until relatively recently. So yeah, whilst I know a lot of these songs from when I was very, very young, and they are very much ingrained in the psyche of Christmas, the album as a whole, yeah, probably within the last 10 years before I listened to it. Um, and just as a additional aside before we get on to the artwork, do you know who says this is their favourite album? Yes, I do. And I was going to come on to that later, but I will well, say it now. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Not a bad testimonial, that. Not at all. I've got, uh, I've got more from Brian later on on that. Boss, okay. Okay, so let's talk about the artwork then. Kev, describe the cover photo. So it's... <laughs> It's essentially the various roster of artists uh, performing on it, emerging from present boxes. Yes, exactly that. Some lovely 60s bouffant hairstyles on display. I mean, there's some great outfits going on here as well. (laughs) Some cracking woolly cardigans. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm feeling very cosy just looking at the cover. Exactly. I also like the way that Darlene Love, uh, they've sort of superimposed as if she's holding a, a Christmas decoration above her head with her own name on it. I like yeah. that. It's it's like she's she's holding above a Darlene Love scarf. <laughs> yeah, but at least it's not a half and half scarf. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the sleeve does not credit anyone with taking the photograph, so I, I don't know who took the photo. Uh, so a lovely Christmas font. Yeah, very, very, tra- very traditional. So even though this is obviously the start of the '60s pop phenomenon and everything like that, it's not a very '60s pop font. It's it's quite '50s to be honest. Yeah, it's not like traditional Bavarian Christmas font, but it's it's only one or two steps removed, I would say. Maybe not Bavarian, but certainly maybe Sudetenland. Alsace <laughs> Lorraine. <laughs> Maybe, maybe it could be part of the Anschluss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, last thing on the on the artwork. Typically modest from Phil Spector, the sleeve notes that he wrote say, can 12 great Christmas songs be treated with the same excitement as the original pop material of today? Until now, perhaps not. Steady on, Phil, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we know from the history of Phil Spector, that he is a modest individual who doesn't have much of an ego <laughs> or a murderous streak. <laughs> That's not getting cut. Because it's true. Because it's factually <laughs> accurate. Uh, okay, we are we are racing along. Shall we go on to White Christmas, the first track on the yeah, album? Let's do it. Okay, so White Christmas performed by Darlene Love. The song was written by Irving Berlin. Originally recorded by Bing Crosby in 1942 for the film, Kev? Dancing on Ice. (laughs) (laughs) No, what film is it? It's White Christmas. 
No, it's not. It's Holiday Inn. Ah, is that right? Okay. It's Holiday Inn. Yes, it's it was White Christmas was okay. later. The, it was it was in the film Holiday Inn. Got you. You see, you were being fucking smug, weren't you? Ah, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that whole exchange in. No, that's fine. And uh, <laughs> I don't care. I probably come out of it looking like the dick, but uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, probably the most famous Christmas song of all time. It's the best-selling single of all time, the Bing Crosby version. It's grossed over $50 million worldwide. Total sales of all cover versions of this song have exceeded $100 million worldwide. So, um, quite well known, this one. Yeah, and it's got the classic Wall of Sound production, and it sounds fucking amazing. Huge. It's like Darling Love sounds amazing. And do you know what? Like, I've heard this version so many times and mm-hmm. it's still so good. Yeah, it's brilliant. As I, Yeah, unmistakably Phil Spector because of that wall of sound. The um, Right at the beginning, the bass line is Fat Domino, Blueberry Hill. Yeah, I suppose it is. <laughs> Which is good because that's a great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Darling Love sounds phenomenal. It's much more upbeat than the original uh, listen, I might be very unpopular with this opinion, but I've never been hugely fond of the original. Sorry, I just haven't. Well, it's it's a very traditional performance. It's it's a crooner uh, kind of yes, version. Exactly. Yes, uh, this this like it, it put it like for me. It, it's pure Christmas. It puts me in a Christmassy mood whenever I hear it. Well, you've got lovely xylophones. You've got lovely sleigh bells throughout it. It's um. So, I mean, I have nothing to base this on, and this is merely conjecture on my behalf. But before this, was the use of the sleigh bell to indicate a Christmas song as as prevalent? Because to me, like, this album sets sets that template. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I, I don't know is the answer, because... Because we're talking about the, the entire history of recorded music. <laughs> yeah. And as we've just said, this is pretty much the first Christmas pop album. But yeah, I mean, throughout the album, they are prevalent, as you said, and that's good. Well, yeah, because you associate that sound with a Christmas song ever since. So we've talked about track length pretty much on every clash. Just under three minutes, rockets along at a fair old pace, lovely stuff. Yeah, doesn't hang around too long, it's great. All right, I want to talk about cover versions. I mentioned, so it's been covered over 200 times, this being one of those covers. Also been covered by The Drifters, The Carpenters. Well, you know. Neil Diamond. Not my favourite, but okay. Bette Midler. I bet that was brassy. (laughs) The Crash Test Dummies. (laughs) (laughs) Gwen Stefani. Okay. She did a whole Christmas album. That passed me by. Uh, and most terribly of all, Michael Bublé. Of course. This is gonna. That's gonna be your end. Fucking <laughs> right, it is, Kev. I like literally. I, pff, hate him. <laughs> uh, I don't hate this version of White Christmas. So it's brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's it's so good. Right. Okay. Uh, shall we go on to Frosty? Yeah, let's go on to Frosty. Okay, Frosty the Snowman, performed by the Ronettes. Uh, The song was written by Walter Rollins and Steve Nelson. It was originally recorded in 1950 by Gene Autry and the Cass County Boys. So, although this was never released as a single, I would say that this is the definitive version of Frosty the Snowman, certainly in my consciousness. Yeah, I mean, 
when when I think of Frosty the Snowman, this is the version that comes to mind straight away, even more so than the version that we'll we'll talk about on the ne- on next week on next week's album. Well, so the song itself makes no reference to Christmas. The last line, which says "I'll be back again someday," is often misquoted as "I'll be back again on Christmas Day," but it, it doesn't make any reference to Christmas, right? The drumming on this is fucking phenomenal. The drum fills are brilliant. I am so glad. So I, in fact, went to made a point of looking at the sleeve notes to see who the drummer was. Hal Blaine yeah. is a phenomenal drummer. I mean, Definitely. absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant is right. Agreed entirely. And it's an easy comparison to make because it's the Ronettes, but the rhythm in the drums, it is so be my baby. That doom, doom, yeah. doom, you know, some great strings that just sit underneath everything that just give it that, again, that classic Waller sound. It's just, it's brilliant. It is, it's magnificent. It is just perfectly pitched pop. Yeah. And, you know, Ronnie Spector, she sounds amazing on this. It's like, I'm sure the session to make this song was fucking brutal. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds so good. Yeah, it does. And again, two minutes, 21 seconds. Lovely stuff. Yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't need to be anything else. No, it doesn't. Okay, shall we go on to track three? Yeah, let's do it. The Bells of St. Mary, performed by Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans. The song was written in 1917 by A. Emmett Adams and Douglas Ferber uh, following a visit to St. Mary's Church in Southampton on the south coast of England. Fun fact, the home stadium of Southampton FC is named after St. Mary's Church because they were originally a church club. They were uh, Southampton St. Mary's Football Club when they were first founded. Much like... um... The St. Domingo's uh, football team who um, got an absolute shoo-in in the week. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> Nothing but the best. <laughs> right, so, the Bells of St. Mary. It's another one It doesn't mention Christmas. Is this actually a fucking Christmas album, Phil? Or is this just an album of songs you like where you've played sleigh bells on? Well, we'll talk about that next week as well. <laughs> well, we will indeed. <laughs> So it's widely sort of seen as a Christmas song because it was in 1945, it was included in a film of the same name starring Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, And that film has a Christmas pageant in it. Um, So fair enough. I don't have a great deal to say about this. I've got a few things. Okay. Bobby Sock's vocal performance. So initially, I don't like it. I find it a little bit overwrought. Mm. However, as the song develops, I think it grows. It grows really well. And the back when the backing comes in, it becomes a much better song. I think initially it's it's very much more of that crooner style that we're we're both a little kind of a little against, or well not against, but just we've heard it too much. But as the song develops, it becomes something a little bit different and it becomes better. It's not my favourite song on the album, but I don't think it's a bad song. So I've said it's performed well. It's just, I would say it's a little bit out of place, to be honest with you. Um, And that's possibly because this is one of those that until I heard the album, I wasn't familiar with. And I don't know of any other, I've never heard any other versions of this song either. 
So that's probably, you know, prejudicing my views somewhat. Yeah, I I don't dislike it. It's performed well. It's just a bit... eh. Yeah, and now I know I know where you're coming from. I think it, I think it's a little bit better than Meh, but yeah, okay, yeah, that's Meh is harsh. You're right. There are songs that um, certainly we'll talk about next week that yeah. Meh is ve- anyway. So the baseline is the same baseline as Be My Baby. <laughs> well, they found a template. Well, yes, and that's why I keep bringing these things up because you're right. It's and it isn't something that's unique to Phil Spector. This was and has been and continues to be the pop template. It's like, if something's mm-hmm. good, then just rework it. I mean, no, Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> Let's repackage that barcode. <laughs> well, quite right. Okay. Covers, uh, among others, and this is a really, really diverse list of people. And I know there's only a few. Perry Como. Okay. Vera Lynn. Yeah, okay. Adam Neville. I don't know much, but I love you. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> and Cheryl Crow. Hmm. <laughs> I told you it was an odd list of people. I don't know what that would sound like. No. Uh, but Eric Clapton liked it, though. <laughs> and Lance Armstrong for a bit. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, she, yeah, she has an enfranglement with Lance Armstrong. Was she blood doping as well, then? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town, Kev. Okay, I've got to get my composure back. <clears throat> so, Santa Claus is coming to town, performed by the Crystals, written in 1934 by J. Fred Coots and Haven Gillespie. What a great name for a songwriting duo. Well, that's just their actual Very names, so. but you know. Yeah. Uh, first performed in 1934 by banjoist Harry Reeser and his band. I'd love to hear a banjo version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it would give enough to... Obviously, we are in a post-deliverance world. So if you heard a banjo version of it, would it have more of a sinister um, tone to it? Santa's coming to town, but he ain't leaving. <laughs> are you suggesting this song gives Burt Reynolds nightmares? Uh, another one that's been covered over 200 times including by the Jackson 5 watch this space we'll get back to that next week Bruce Springsteen I hate Bruce Springsteen's version of this song I hate it it's not great Mariah Carey of course Frank Sinatra yeah Chris Isaac I don't know what that would sound like no and worst of all Michael fucking (laughs) (laughs) Boobly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing it. Like honestly, enough. I'm not sure why this starts with a sort of spoken word little intro no. over the top of Brahms' lullaby. No, it's it's an interesting production decision, which I don't, th- I actually don't think works. But once you get past that and you go into that classic wall of sound, then then we're talking fucking great greatness, really. It's phenomenal, phenomenal. Just. Before I get on to that, within that spoken word intro, the line, he took me into his workshop and told his plans to me, that just smacks of like the scene at the end of Act 2 of a Bond film where the supervillain reveals his sinister <laughs> plan for world domination. <laughs> like, what's Santa got up his sleeve? Well, the man can travel faster than fucking light. So, you know, <laughs> if, he wants world, if he wants world domination, then it's quite easy. Plus, he has a lair. 
with his own slave army. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Him and Willy Wonka. <laughs> you know, I mean, supervillain is screaming here. That's true. But hang on. Think like he's got a lair with his own slave army. Distributes toys and goodies around the globe at lightning speed. Villainous plans. Fucking hell, Bezos is actually Father Christmas, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliantness. Again, drums fantastic. Epic sleigh bells. I also want, like, the vocal performance is perfect. Mm-hmm. I also want to call out Steve Douglas's brilliant sax solo. Amazing. Um, he's great throughout this album. And, like, the pitch of the song, it is akin to a child's excitement on Christmas Eve. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. So, you know the breakdown in the middle of the song? Mm-hmm. The percussion in that, and this isn't, this isn't the only time I'm going to call this out as well, you can absolutely hear where Brian Wilson gets the inspiration for Pet Sounds from. Well, and again, we've already said, he said it's his favourite album. But so many times on this album, the percussion calls forward to, to what he was doing on Pet Sounds. Yeah, it does, it does without without question. I mean, because this album was well known, um, certainly, certainly amongst musicians anyway, it's inevitably going to have an influence on someone who was um, so plugged in as Brian Wilson was at the time. Yeah. And speaking of Brian Wilson, he apparently played, he he played piano for this track, but it was rejected because uh, he was deemed not to be good enough for the Wrecking Crew. Wow. I mean, it shows you how good the the Wrecking Crew were. Absolutely. Uh, I I mean, this is 63, so the Beach Boys didn't really break until 64. So Brian Wilson at this time wasn't known. Mm-hmm. But even still, like you said, it shows just uh, how good the Wrecking Crew were. That's like, nah, we're all right, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and again, I'm pretty sure there's a documentary knocking about about the Wrecking Crew, which is mm-hmm. which is a really good watch as well. Yes, and there's a new Brian Wilson documentary which I have yet to see. Ooh, but uh, we'll be doing so. Okay, I love this. Again, this is the definitive version of this song as far as I'm concerned. And again, we'll come back to this next week, but it's a Christmas classic. It's great. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a great um Christmas Christmas song. It's a great Christmas version. I think maybe the like when we talk about next week that it's the, there might be an argument there, but we'll Ooh. we'll come to that. Okay, interesting. Not for me, there's not an argument, but okay, interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right, shall we go on to Sleigh Ride? Yeah, let's go. So, another one performed by the Ronettes. Well, the music is an orchestral standard composed by Leroy Anderson, uh, first recorded by Arthur Fielder and the Boston Pops Orchestra in 1949. The lyrics were written by Mitchell Parrish and originally recorded by the Andrews Sisters in 1950. Again, it's one of the most covered songs of all time, including by the likes of The Carpenters, Amy Grant, TLC, Ella Fitzgerald, again Gwen Stefani, The Spice Girls, (laughs) Gary Barlow, (laughs) Max Dodger, and Mickey fucking Bubbles. Shite. Shite. I've never even heard any of his versions of these songs, but I know they're all shit. Well, you know that all the balls and all the passion are going to be yeah. taken out of it, and it's just going to be the equivalent of shredded wheat. <laughs> 
Knock off Aldi shredded wheat. No, because at least that's cheaper. <laughs> Fair point, actually. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, this is another one where most versions of this song I've found to be overly sugary. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the clip-clop rhythm, which you get on this too, I have to say. But I like this one more than any other version I've heard, I've got to say. Yeah. It's a really charming vocal performance. I like that word, yeah. It absolutely belts through. The band are great. And it's the tempo to it as well. Again, we're talking, what, three minutes on this? Yeah. You know, it doesn't hang around too long. It doesn't hang around long enough to become annoying. You know, it's yep. it's all it's it's really well pitched. It's again, it's a perfectly pitched pop version. It is, I agree. And it's got the ring a ling a ling a ding dong ding backing vocal, which is great. Well, um <laughs> you can you can argue with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Poptastic. But I've uh, we rattled through that one. Don't have much more to say about yeah. it. No. Okay, Marshmallow World. It's another one performed by Darlene Love. The song itself, written in 1949 by Carl Sigmund and Peter DeRose. It was first performed by Bing Crosby in 1950. It's also been recorded by, among others, Dean Martin, Brenda Lee and Johnny Mathis. Thankfully not by fucking Bubbles. It's another song that doesn't have any mention of Christmas in it. No. It's just about winter. But it's great though, isn't it? What an opening. Yeah. With the brass and the piano. Yeah. The tempo is, again, it's really exciting. Darling Love sounds amazing. Phenomenal. Steve Douglas, again, with the brilliant sax solo. Yep. And like one of the keynotes I made here is that it's quite... The, the lyrics themselves are quite saccharine. It's quite a... Yes. It could be quite a cloying song, mm-hmm. but because of the way everything's put together, the way it's performed and everything, it brings a smile to your face. It, it's yeah. it's just, it's lovely. It is lovely. It makes me want to go outside and jump in the snow. It makes no angels. And I don't like marshmallows. <laughs> what? No, marshmallows can fuck off. What's fucking wrong with you? You don't like marshmallows? No, they're shit. Fuck, they're not. What do you mean they're shit? Fuck off. They're shy. What's why? I'm sorry, marshmallows can fuck off. You are fucking weird. Your family. How can you like Angel Delight and not fucking marshmallows? Because Angel Delight is great and marshmallows are fucking awful. Like, are you telling me that scene in Ghostbusters where your man, Dickless, gets fucking load of marshmallow all over him? You've never seen that and go, oh, that looks fucking great, that, doesn't it? Just, like, eat it all off. Uh, no, I've I've never looked at it and gone, I'd eat marshmallow falling from the fucking sky. <laughs> well, something not right with you then, mate. <laughs> no, marshmallow's good. So nah. is this song. This, speaking of Bill Murray, not that it's used in the soundtrack, but this song rem- always reminds me of the snowball fight scene in Groundhog Day. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Okay, I love it. It's great. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. So I saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus. I mean, you know, questions have to be asked about Santa's fidelity to Mrs. Claus. Uh, We will be asking those questions again next week, you know. Because because someone confirms it. He definitely saw. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, that's someone protesting loudly that (laughs) something is, is true that there's no witnesses to. Let's... Let's sidestep that one delicately, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, Can't slander the dead. Exactly right. You cannot. Um, 
Right, so I saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus performed by the Ronettes. Yeah, written by Tommy Connor and first recorded in 1952 by Jimmy Boyd. Apparently on its release, Jimmy Boyd's version was banned by the Catholic Church of Boston. Probably because it didn't have enough nonsense in it. <laughs> and for more details, uh, see Spotlight. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Again, a factual statement. Not taking it out. No. Nope. <laughs> so, it was recorded by the Jackson 5 as well. Also by Andy Williams, Amy Winehouse, and John Cougar Mellencamp. Okay. Do you know what? Do you know what I had in my head that I thought you were going to say? Judas Priest. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. No, I just got in my head that Judas Priest had covered it for no reason. I've got a question about this. Are we to believe that Ronnie Spector actually saw Mummy kissing Santa Claus, or is she saying that, like, well, it's me dad, obviously, because he's dressed up as Father Christmas? Maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it. I, I mean, I mean, let's let's not look under that rock. <laughs> but nothing good there. But there's all like there's all kinds of questions because if she's gone to bed and then her old fella's dressed up as Father Christmas. Raises all sorts of questions about about his relationship with his wife, and what they what sort of stuff they're into. Do you know what I mean? Well, she's got a Santa fetish. I mean, we've all seen bad Santa. <laughs> or the Dan Aykroyd um, Santa <laughs> in uh, Trading Places, <laughs> eating the salmon through his beard. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant film, by the way. Yeah, it's it's great. What do you think? So. It's got a bit of a weird opening, how it kind of jumps into the song. Ronnie Spector performs it really well again. The band are, are really good. One thing that I noted down, and I don't know if this is true, this is just my observation, it sounds like the band's turned down to emphasise the vocals. Yes. You know, obviously we're aware that Ronnie becomes Mrs Spector and everything that comes comes with that. So maybe that is true to emphasise her vocal performance. So I've noted that, yeah, on this one, the wall of sound uh, is a bit more like a garden rockery than a wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I'd, I'd noted exactly that. <sighs> there are better versions of this song, definitely. Well, yeah, and we will talk about that. Yes, we will. It's just, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perf- again, it's performed well. It just doesn't really go anywhere. It's a bit humdrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I don't disagree with that. Okay, shall we go on to the next song? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is the Crystals version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a song written in 1939 by Johnny Marks, based on the story written by his brother-in-law, Robert Lewis May. I was about... <laughs> I was about to say by Carl. <laughs> Richard's dad. <laughs> and his uh, cousin Howard. <laughs> Can we just say, I want to go to those family Christmases. <laughs> Carl, Howard and Richard Marks. <laughs> Every time you go away, you take a little bit of my wealth to redistribute. <laughs> Because you smoke it all. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, 
So the first recorded version of this was by Gene Autry, and that reached number one in the US uh, in Christmas 1949. Uh, also recorded by Bing Crosby, The Temptations. We'll be definitely talking about that one next week. Mm-hmm. And by Alvin and the Chipmunks. Of course. So... Again, I've said this is one of, if not the most recognisable version mm-hmm. of this song. I really like the guitar riff that starts and ends this song, you know. I think it's a, it's a nice little touch. So you said that the last track was a bit weird because it just starts. I like the way that, that riff brings mm-hmm. you in and takes you out. It's it's also it's sonically dense, this one. Mm-hmm. The, there's a really kind of complex arrangement to it. It, I mean, simple yet complex. It's it's a weird kind of weird kind of dichotomy that's going on there, but it it works really well. And again, the percussion within it is so important and and great. It is, and again, I've noted it's with for that you can you can hear what so inspired Brian Wilson mm-hmm. and, and what he tried to recreate very successfully. I might add with Pet Sounds, the rhythm on this. So I talked about Sleigh Ride. I get a little bit annoyed with the clip-clop rhythm. The rhythm of this, I really like it. It really evokes visions of galloping reindeer for me, the way that this mm-hmm. trundles along all the way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it, it is very evocative. Uh, okay, Winter Wonderland. Belter. Brilliant. Darlene Love, again, performs this one. This was written in 1934 by Felix Bernard and Richard Bernard Smith. It was originally recorded by Richard Himber, although the Guy Lombardo version later that year it was more famous and was, was the bigger hit. Again, it doesn't actually mention Christmas. I mean, you can't even say Christmas anymore, can you, with the fucking <laughs> Wokarati? They'd probably like this song to be called Winterville Wonderland. <laughs> okay, so 200 covers of this as well, or over 200 covers of this. Ella Fitzgerald, Tony Bennett, Macy Gray, dreadful version. And yes, of course, the fucking bubble has covered this as well. Not one of those 200 comes anywhere near this version, if you ask me. No, the arrangement is beautiful. The vocal performance is fantastic. It's And the strings are just gorgeous. It's Everything about it is, is absolutely pitched perfectly. It is so. This is this is the first version I ever heard, and again, that's probably clouding my judgment here. But it, it's by far my favourite. It's the definitive for me. I agree. Again, you've got an incessant rhythm. You know, you've got sleigh bells, which just again they just make you want to go out and build a snowman. You know, and and, mm-hmm. and pretend that he is Parson Brown. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked on most of the songs so far about the brilliant vocal performances and that is true i think and we'll come on to it in in a later song that you already mentioned for me darlene love is the standout performer yeah on the album so you mentioned about i saw mommy kisses santa claus where it does seem like it's toned down a bit to allow ronnie specter's voice to come through Darlene Love doesn't need the sound. To no, she, she will shine whatever you put behind it. it she, she's she is stellar throughout this album. Well, every every song that we've discussed that she's on, we've said belting performance. Yes, exactly. And I think yeah. we might say it again. <laughs> Indeed, uh, I mean it's like it is one of the catchiest melodies uh, ever written, isn't mm-hmm. it? This, it, 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 yeah, the definitive version. And a Stone Cold classic, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, on to Parade of the Wooden Soldiers then, I guess. Yeah, and it's before I heard this album, it's not it's not a Christmas song that I was aware of, I have to say. Nope, nor I. Uh, so it's performed by the Crystals, this version. Originally an instrumental piece by German composer Leon Jessel in 1897. It was called The Parade of the Tin Soldiers then. Uh, the English lyrics were written in 1922 by Ballard MacDonald. And apparently it was made popular in the US by way of a Betty Boop cartoon in 1930. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, Not doing the do. <laughs> <laughs> or dropping her microphone whilst lip syncing at her own live show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you brought up Betty Boo. <laughs> Oh, God, I know what my can't get you out of my head choice is for next time. I mean, like, the eggnog is flowing here. (laughs) Um, So, again, no mention of Christmas, not even any mention of fucking winter, this one. No. So is this where Pixar got the idea for Toy Story? (laughs) Because it's about, about, you know, a a parade of toy soldiers that come alive at night time, you know. Well, and there's... I'm sure there's like a Laurel and Hardy film as well where the toy soldiers come alive as well. I I, I don't know if this song is is within that, but, you know. Uh, Okay, talking about the song. uh, So for me, you can tell that it was German composed. Yeah. That horn part is pure Bavarian umpa band. Well, it's so the arrangements as well, like, again, going to give credit to Phil Spexer. It's got a very sort of military brass and it's got a very military percussion as well, that kind of rat-a-tat drumming as well, it, which mm-hmm. which works really well. It does give it you does. that soldier military kind of sound. Yep. The percussion in the breakdowns is incredible. Things like the castanets, as you say, and that rat-a-tat sort of marching band sound. Just remember, again, these are pop songs. Yeah. You know, what Phil Spector's doing here is... It's never been done before, and to me, I, I I marvel at some of those sounds he's creating. And again, and probably most of all of any of the tracks on this album, this is where you can hear pet sounds yeah. in those breakdowns. I yeah, I hadn't heard this song before. I heard this album. I've never heard any other versions of this song, but I really really like this. It's, yeah, it's a great. lot of fun. Yeah, it's it is like it's weird because it's it's not Christmassy, but it's Christmassy at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Very true. I mean, I suppose with the with the theme, it does evoke the sort of Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, I don't think we're going to have much to say about the next track. No, barely anything. <laughs> okay, the next track is "Christmas Baby, Please Come Home," performed by uh, Sergeant Murtaugh's wife. What? Did you not realise Darlene Love is Danny Glover's wife in Lethal Weapon? No. <laughs> no, I did not know that. Wow. Okay, there you go. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I just assumed you knew that. Nope. Okay. Is Lethal Weapon a Christmas film? Yeah, the first the first one's at Christmas, isn't it? Because yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. So it's if a... Die Hard gets to be a Christmas film, and so does Lethal Weapon. And it never gets mentioned. Nope, it doesn't. It should do. Yeah, it, it is really good, the first one. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it doesn't have Patsy Kensit's amazing South African accent in it. <laughs> right. Darlene Love, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. I mean, like, can we just say a song that actually mentions Christmas and in the title and everything? Yeah. 
So it's the only original song on the album, written by Phil Spector and his songwriting partners Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry. It was also the only single released from the album. It reached number 13 on the Billboard Holiday Chart and number 19 on the Hot 100 Chart, actually. So, Rolling Stone voted it as the best Christmas song of all time in 2010. It's one of the most enduring Christmas songs That's ever. That's correct. <laughs> Kev, save it for the bonus episode. <laughs> no, I, can't, I won't be able to stick this in the, in the uh, bonus episode because I'm going to have to say lots of nice things about it, so I'll have to pick something else. Because it's a fucking banger. It is. Wow. It endures because it's brilliant. Yeah, so... The the ver like it was originally supposed to be Ronnie Spector singing this, mm-hmm. but they were not Phil Spector was not impressed by her performance. Darling comes in and it's mesmerizing, it's pop perfection, and like it's got that beautiful kind of it's like a lament for a lover not there at Christmas. The sax solo again yep. is brilliant. brilliant, and like the lyrics as well are perfect, uh, you know. If there was a way, I'd hold back this tear, but it's Christmas Day. And it's the way it's the way she's sort of desperately pleading at the end, like, please, please, baby, please come home. Yeah. It's epic. It's just amazing. It makes your heart break. The lyrics do make your heart mm-hmm. break because of the way she is pleading exactly that. But at the same time, it just makes you want to get up and dance around because of that brilliant wall of sound. Yeah. There's no other way to, to describe it. It's... um. Yeah, the sax solo, as you said, is phenomenal yet again. And it's just... I mean, there's so many quotable lines from it. So they're singing Deck the Halls, but it doesn't feel like Christmas at all. (laughs) I mean, that's so well well pitched. It's it's magnificent. Uh, It's an all-time classic. It's... Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm sure sure, um, the listeners are going to be shocked what my choice of best song off this album is going to be. Um, because it is literally my favourite Christmas song. I think it is the best Christmas song ever recorded, personally. Okay, I don't. Uh, and I'm going to save my choice for when we do our bonus episode of our favourite Christmas songs. Uh, so you'll have to wait. But I do think it's magnificent. Okay, so a couple of more facts about it. It was, it's been featured on several film soundtracks, including uh, the soundtrack to Gremlins. And in a link back to our first ever episode, it features in the aftermath of the Lufthansa heist in Goodfellas. It does, yeah. When they are spending their ill-gotten gains. I'm getting in lots of trouble with Jimmy uh, for it. Indeed, indeed. Uh, So it's been covered several times. Including by you two. Dreadful. I don't hate that version. It's it's not good. So apparently the U2 version was recorded during a sound check uh, in Glasgow, uh, during the Joshua Tree tour. Backing vocals on that version were allegedly sung by Darlene Love herself, although citation needed is very much the case. On that. <laughs> I don't hate... It's not this version by any stretch, okay? One version I do hate, I've never heard it, but I know it's shit. (laughs) Mickey fucking Bubbles, fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. Fucking you covering this song. No. Put a stop to this man. Bad Bubbles. Bad Bubbles. (laughs) Is that Michael Jackson talking to his chimp? (laughs) You've shat on the floor again. (laughs) 
it's magnificent. This song, it, I can't say anything else. It's, no, it's wonderful. Okay, here comes Santa Claus. Oh, you've not reacted. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I I was going to say something, and then I decided to um, I decided to be classy. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the follow follow up to uh, I saw Santa kissing mommy under the Christmas tree. <laughs> And then he unloaded his sack all over the living room floor. We've, we've done it anyway, of, of, of course. We are children. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so this is performed by Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans. Written and originally recorded in 1947 by Gene Autry. Also recorded by Doris Day, Bing Crosby, Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan on his phenomenal Christmas album (laughs) (laughs) and also by Billy Idol oh (laughs) yep okay okay I don't mean to be cruel to Bobby Sox but both of his songs on this album follow the two best songs on the album and neither one of them particularly stands out because of that it's not a bad performance it's perfectly good. It's a perfectly cromulent version. Yeah, it it just as you say, you're following something that's so good. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna sound shite in, in comparison, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm afraid so. You know, it's got a nice rhythm to it. It's got some brilliant sleigh bells again. There's a lovely trumpet solo, really good. Yeah. It's not a bad song. It's, it's just, not a bad song, but it ain't Darling Love. You do feel like you've come down a notch. Yes. Sorry, Bobby. I mean, you should have fought your corner more, mate, because you've been diddled on the track ordering on this album twice, he has. mate. Okay. And we race to the end. Yeah. Silent Night. Well, yeah. Okay. Just bear with me. Okay. Silent Night itself is uh, an Austrian Christmas carol, Stille Nacht, written by Franz Gruber, Hans's dad. I said and... I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph Muir in 1818. Uh, the English translation was written by Episcopal priest John Freeman Young in 1859. So I've said all that about Silent Night, but this isn't Silent Night, is it? It's a pompous Phil Spector soliloquy. That's what this is. Yeah, and do you know what? Like, the bit where you get in the Silent Night bit by the rest of the artists. It's lovely. I want more of that. It's yep. really it's really beautiful with simple yes, it strings. Is. It's like, no, I don't want to hear you talk, Phil. I actually want, you know, the musicians. I don't give a shit about the producer. I mean, the title of the album anyway shows his ego. And, like, it ruins what could be a really beautiful ending to the album yep. by because you get about 30 seconds of the performance and it's it's such a shame. Agreed entirely. So apparently the original monologue was over five minutes long. <laughs> but Larry Levine persuaded him to cut it down somewhat. Yeah. Uh, apparently the first take was uh, somewhat bluer. Indeed. According to the enemy, Larry Levine said, the first time he did it, he used foul language. Something like, I made this record for you, cocksuckers. I mean, that's just unnecessary. There's no need for that, Phil. You know, it's not very Christmas. That's the worst thing Phil Spector's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Okay, so Silent Night is, as you said, it's an undeniably beautiful piece of music, and I want to hear more of it here. I don't give a shit what you've got to say about your album, Phil. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, it Well, it, it means that the album ends on a... It's a disappointment. Like, when you get to this song, you're like, oh, it's Phil Spector talking. Well, it's just self-indulgent. Yeah. You know. Uh, all right, shall we go on to some reviews? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so firstly, my Christmas gift to you, the listener, is no Nobby McGee. It's the absence of Nobby. No Nobby this week, no Nobby next week. He has not reviewed either of these albums, so you get two weeks Nobby free. I mean, and you can never complain about a Nobby free week. (laughs) Quite so. Uh, Okay, I do have some reviews, though. And again, I don't think reviews or legacy will take us all that long. To be honest, I've got, I'm very thin next week. All right, okay. In the Rolling Stone, John Dolan on that 25 greatest Christmas albums list, he said it's not just the greatest Christmas record ever, but a bona fide pop classic in its own right. Spectre's Wall of Sound production adds grandeur and drama, while the Phyllis Records crew lights up the holiday hit parade with rock and roll fire. No wonder Brian Wilson called it his favourite album of all time. Fair enough. I'll argue with that. Uh, Lisa Wright in the NME said it's impossible to imagine the festive musical canon without it. Joy that exudes from Spectre's production ensures his take on the songs is the only one worth bothering with. Again, yep. Yeah. And then the final review I've got is the one from All Music by Dennis McDonald. He said Spectre believed he could produce a record for the holidays that would capture not only the essence of the Christmas spirit, but also be a pop masterpiece that would stand against any work these artists had already done. He succeeded on every level. Yes, Dennis, he did. Yeah, you can't argue with that. All right, so just a little bit on Legacy then. There's not much to say here. Uh, So I mentioned the release date right at the start, and I said I'd come back to it. So the album didn't sell very well. And at least in the US, that was put down to its release date. So the 22nd of November 1963. Did anything happen on on that day? There was a minor skirmish in Dallas. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, if you're not aware, that's the day JFK was assassinated, and in the aftermath of that, America wasn't really in the mood for sugar-coated Christmassy pop music, so the album sort of died on its arse after that, to be honest with you. It was actually withdrawn from sale not long after its release, and although it's been re-released several times since, an original vinyl pressing will set you back in the area of 500 quid. Which, yeah, I mean... It's not an insignificant amount of money. No. But, yeah, anyway, as we've seen and as we've said, as so many albums we've covered, it's been reappraised since. It is a classic, both in terms of pop music and in terms of Christmas music. So many of the songs that we've been through are the definitive versions of those songs, at least as far as we're concerned. Yeah. And I would just like to leave the last word on it to Brian Wilson, if I may, who said this album deserves to be compared to the likes of Rubber Soul and Revolver. That's not bad company to be within. Exactly that. But that's it. That's me. Yeah, I've got nothing more to add. Okay. So, Kev, what's your best song? What's your worst song, please? I don't think (laughs) there's going to be much surprise about this. So I'll I'll go my worst song first. 
I'm not going to pick Silent Night because I don't think you can't really count it as a song. Agreed. So unfortunately, I'm going to. It's the song before it, so the album ends quite poorly after such a high point. Here comes Santa Claus. It's a bit anodyne. It's you know, it's it's not bad. It's you know, it just it never grabs you. It never really. And unfortunately, it pales in comparison with what comes before it, which unsurprisingly is my favourite song on the album. It's my favourite Christmas song. It's a fucking belter. It is an absolute stone cold classic. Um, and I love listening to it anytime it comes on. Are you not going to? Which is Baby, Please Come there Home by Darling Love. Okay, uh, right. So I'll do my worst song first, and I agree with you that I I'm not I refuse to pick Silent Night because it's not a song as far as I'm concerned. I'm also not gonna pick Here Comes Santa Claus because there are bits to that that I like. I'm gonna pick I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. It just doesn't do anything for me, and there are far better versions of that song. Sorry, fair enough. And I think it is the one track on this album where the production isn't quite right for me either. Okay best song i mean it probably is baby please come home but i am not going to give you the satisfaction of picking it sorry i'm going to be a contrarian (laughs) dick so i'm going santa claus is coming to town i'm not interested in any other version of this song it's fucking magnificent i adore it we'll be having a chat next week (laughs) okay until then though uh, i guess that about wraps it up for this week it does apart from kev please how may people keep in touch with the show? So if you want to see the world's worst amateur dramatic flash mob on the tube <laughs> and uniquely starring the worst peers, who knew? <laughs> Imagine being a worse peers than Morgan. <laughs> so if you're not aware, Piers Corbin has been up to his usual nonsense. So you can check that out on Twitter. Whilst there, you can check out our Twitter, at Clash Album. If you um, want to see carefully, well, I'm going to say if you want to see carefully curated content, you may be able to check out our Insta page when the Insta lizards <laughs> stop banning us for no apparent fucking reason. Kev, how have you got us banned from Insta? I don't know. They keep banning us for, like, I, th- I was using the um, hashtag. Um... Pete Price is a lizard? <laughs> it wasn't Pete Price is a lizard. <laughs> it was um, kick out the jams, motherfuckers. And we since then we keep getting um, Insta bands. So you may be able to see carefully curated. Yes, content. you may be. You may be able to say carefully curated quality content if I if um, Insta stop being a bunch of fucking lizards and allow us to actually post anything. Or if you are a lizard and you want to send us an email to um, prove your existence, you can send us an email to albumclash at gmail.com. That goes for you, Pete Price. (laughs) See, now I've got to leave the Pete Price quote in. Yep. (laughs) Great stuff. (laughs) So back to the fucking Piers Corbin and his bellend mates. Like, the worst fucking thing about that whole thing was the fucking smug look on all their faces. Like, oh, we've thought of something really clever. Like, so, several things. Firstly, do they think COVID is a gas? (laughs) Secondly, do they literally take their trousers off to fart? (laughs) Thirdly, and most fucking importantly, you're not doing anything really defiant. That video was recorded before the fucking new restrictions came in. So you were doing nothing illegal. You weren't defying. You weren't not complying. You're just making dicks of yourselves and making everyone hate you even more, you smug fuckers. Just fuck off. Fuck off. 
<sighs> Sorry. The only thing I can add to that is that I think part of what offended me most about it wasn't the message, wasn't the frankly terrible joke that they um, attempted in it. It was the pure amdram middle-classness of the oh, whole God. thing. Yeah, it's the most middle-class thing ever. I Like, Midsummer Murders was missing its entire cast of extras that day. Ricardo had a lot of misdeliveries. Oh, absolutely right. Okay, oh, I'm sorry I got so angry then, but they are awful humans. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Kev, remind people what is going to be next week's episode, our pre-Christmas episode. So your homework for just before Christmas is to listen to A Motown Christmas by various artists. Great stuff. Before we go, I mentioned bonus episode. We are probably hopefully planning likely yeah planning to do a bonus episode of our favorite christmas songs we'll be having a couple of guests on there so hopefully sam will be back my wife michelle hopefully she's going to be involved as well i'm hoping we can get that out in time so we can release it on christmas day so what better way to tuck into christmas dinner than listening to us bellends but or if you've had an argument with the family round the christmas dinner table <laughs> you can you can then stick your, your headphones in ignore everyone drink <laughs> and listen to to us talk absolute wham <laughs> Uh, but yeah so that's what we are hoping to do so uh, yeah if it doesn't come off then soz <laughs> yeah soz about that but we'll we'll see you in the new year if it doesn't exactly happen. well we'll see you next week for starters well, yeah. we've got one more episode this year to go uh, but yeah until then thanks for listening get in touch with the show as, as Kev just said tell us what your favourite Christmas songs are Tell us what your favourite Christmas albums are. Tell us who your favourite Piers is. (laughs) Yeah, fine. I'm going Brighton. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm just going. (laughs) Right, uh, this has been Alpha Clash. I've been Tim. I've been Kev. And we'll see you next time. Ta-da. Ta-da.